Our first reading this morning comes from the book of the prophet Isaiah, the 45th chapter. Thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have grasped to subdue nations before him and strip kings of their robes, to open doors before him, and the gate shall not be closed. I will go before you and level the mountains. I will break in pieces the doors of bronze and cut through the bars of iron. I will give you the treasures of darkness and riches hidden away in secret places so that you may know that it is I, the Lord, the God of Israel, who call you by your name. For the sake of my servant Jacob and Israel, my chosen, I call you by your name. I surname you, though you do not know me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. Beside me, there is no God. I arm you, though you do not know me, so that they may know from the rising of the sun and from the west that there is no one besides me. I am the Lord, and there is no other. I form light and create darkness. I make wheel and create woe. I, the Lord, do all these things. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us read together responsibly whole verse by whole verse from Psalm 96. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord, all the earth. Sing to the Lord. Bless the name of the Lord. Proclaim God's salvation from day to day. Declare God's glory among the nations and God's wonders among all peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised, more to be feared than all gods. As for all the gods of the nations, they are but idols. But you, O Lord, have made the heavens. Majesty and magnificence are in your presence. Power and splendor are in your sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, you families of the peoples. Ascribe to the Lord honor and power. Ascribe to the Lord the honor due the holy name. Bring offerings and enter the courts of the Lord. Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Tremble before the Lord, all the earth. Tell it out among the nations, the Lord is king, the one who made the world so firm that it cannot be moved, will judge the peoples with equity. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea thunder and all that is in it. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood shout for joy at your coming, O Lord, for you come to judge the earth. You will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with your truth. Our second reading for this morning comes from Paul's first letter to the Thessalonians, the first chapter. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We always give thanks to God for all of you and mention you in our prayers constantly remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. 
For we know, brothers and sisters, beloved by God, that he has chosen you because our message of the gospel came to you not in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. Just as you know what kind of persons we proved to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For in spite of persecution, you received the word with joy, inspired by the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and in Achaia. For the word of the Lord has sounded forth from you, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, But in every place, your faith in God has become known so that we have no need to speak about it. For the people of those regions report about us what kind of welcome we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve a living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead. Jesus, who rescued us from the wrath that is to come. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel this morning, according to St. Matthew, the 22nd chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Then the Pharisees went and plotted to entrap Jesus in what he had said. So they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are sincere and teach the way of God in accordance with truth and show deference to to no one, for you do not regard people with partiality. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to the emperor or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why are you putting me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. Then Jesus said to them, Whose head is this and whose title? They answered, The emperor's. Then he said to them, Give therefore to the emperor the things that are the emperor's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed and they left him and went away. This is the gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. People of God, we join me now for a word of prayer. Help us, O God, to sing to you a new song so that all the earth may hear to sing of your blessed name, to let them know of your salvation day after day. For you are great and greatly to be praised. Majesty and magnificence reign in your presence, power and splendor in your sanctuary. Bring us into those places that we may be refreshed and refilled by your presence and send us out by your spirit to refresh and refill the entire world with the promises of hope, mercy, and love. Strengthen us now in this time and in this place by your spirit and by your word, poured out for us 
that we may be raised up in you. All these things and all the things of our hearts we lift before you in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This week, Jesus finds himself in the nightmare position of every public figure to walk the planet. Caught between two opposing factions whose sole intent in that moment is to incriminate him and dismantle his support from the people. Is it lawful to pay taxes or not? On one hand, if Jesus says they're lawful, he is essentially endorsing the government's extortion of the poor and those poor crowds members will turn against him. On the other hand, if Jesus says that the taxes are not lawful, Jesus would have directly been accused of treason with no protections in place for those who speak against their ruling government, particularly one whose leaders declare themselves to be gods. Either way, Jesus has a target on his back, and the Pharisees and Herodians are ready to pull the trigger. It's really not much different from our current culture, where people scour interviews and debates and documents and old social media posts to incriminate public figures from Washington to Hollywood. Anyone who's been job hunting any time in the past 15 years knows that your own public face is under scrutiny when you interview for that new position. We all walk a fine line in this life. There are times when no matter what we do, it feels like someone is out to get us. And oftentimes we can become our own worst enemy. And what's more, like in today's text, it's often the two most unlikely parties that join together to make life miserable. The enemy of my enemy is my friend is the logic which brought these Pharisees and Herodians together. One represents the religious leadership, the other the governing authority put in place by the Roman emperor. And for us it begs the question that seems to work its way into our daily life whether we realize it or not. God or Caesar? Church or state? What do we believe? Is there a separation between these two? Or does it end up like the relationship sparked in our gospel lesson? A relationship founded in deceit, wrapped up in a struggle for power, and intent on using any means possible to get what they want. I offer this to you. If we really do believe in a true separation of church and state, think of how different our lives would be. Christians wouldn't pay taxes or serve in the military or hold public office or be employed in any manner by government-run or subsidized companies. Laws wouldn't apply to Christians, but at the same time, they wouldn't convict us of doing wrong or protect us from the wrongdoing of others. 
We wouldn't use banks because they're insured and regulated by a federal branch of our government. Everything from food and medicine and clothing, the fuel in our tanks and the televisions we watch throughout the day are all regulated in some way by the federal government. If we truly believed in a separation between all things church and all things state, Christians would not benefit from Social Security or Medicare or Medicaid. We wouldn't benefit from local police, fire, ambulance, or transportation services which receive government funding. Contacting our legislators to lobby for different support for this bill or that bill would be out of the question and forget about voting. We also wouldn't use public roads or have access to public utilities like sewer or water or electricity. As it stands today, we've interpreted this notion that church and state are separate in such a way that it makes us feel good about ourselves and gives us access to all of the government-regulated services while still insisting that there is a distinction. We don't like for our church or our politics to mix. So long as we feel that my sermon doesn't criticize your own political party's views or the government's attention is focused on some other religious body's problems. And at the same time, we're very quick to point out how God has blessed our country and given us the authority to spread the American dream and value system across the world, no matter what the cost. In many ways, we separate church and state in the ways that we talk about them but not in the matters our government and Christ's church are called to address the problems of the world around us. This artificial separation caused by the fork-tongued question, is it lawful, only yields one result. An assault on the person of Jesus who is both everything human and divine, and by extension, an assault on the goodness and the potential of God's kingdom, which reigns faithfully and graciously over all things, both church and state. Raj Nadella, a professor of New Testament at Columbia Seminary, had a good bit to say about this text for this week, and I felt like I couldn't skip over it for you. He writes, the question in Matthew 22 about paying taxes was not just a political one. It was also a moral and theological question. The question, is it lawful, has both political and theological connotations. What is legal is not necessarily moral. What is lawful from Rome's perspective might not be acceptable to God. Hence, even as one pays taxes due to Caesar, one should also pay what is due to God. But what is the relationship between the political and the theological aspects of paying? Paying to both Caesar and God was not so much about checking off both boxes or keeping both equally happy, but about carefully considering the complexity of the issues at hand. While people pay taxes to Rome out of obligation... They pay to God 
because of their calling and their commitment to promote an alternative kingdom. An imperial tax can be paid without the payment being a vote of support for Rome or its ethos. Paying taxes acknowledges Rome's political power, but not its moral authority to rule. That moral authority belongs to God. Which is why Jesus quickly adds that one must pay to God the things that are due to God. But the coinage, the currency of God's kingdom is of a radically different nature than that of Caesar. God does not trade in Caesar's currency. The whole nature and trajectory of God's kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated and is inviting people to participate in is fundamentally at odds with Caesar's. Which is why, while people must pay to both Caesar and God, they must pay them not only for different reasons, but in entirely different currencies. Paying to God and participating in the divine kingdom entails repenting of the ways we have been complicit in the Roman Empire and its agenda. Paradoxically, then, People should pay taxes empire has imposed upon them while actively resisting it and working to promote the alternative kingdom. Notice what Nadella said there. The powers of the kingdom and the powers of the empire are fundamentally at odds with one another, yet at the same time inseparable from one another. The Christian church has a long history of this civil disobedience from Christians paying taxes to Rome while renouncing Caesar as God, ultimately resulting in their martyrdom. To Martin Luther insisting that princes offer education and aid freely to all people, regardless of class or gender, while critiquing the ruler's opulence and tyranny, which is only mirrored by both his critique of the Roman Catholic hierarchy, and his conviction that his teachings were faithfully Roman Catholic. Civil disobedience cannot be mentioned without naming Martin Luther King Jr., a civil rights leader whose foundational convictions were rooted in his calling as a pastor of God's flock and a preacher in the Baptist Christian tradition. Even today, our own Lutheran church at both national and regional levels have arms of service which dedicate their time to lobbying for and implementing everything from immigration reform to righting economic injustices and repenting of our culpable silence in the face of the racial and ethnic horrors which have played native African and immigrant Americans in this country in the lives of all people. There is no clear line between our lives in Christ and our lives as travelers in this world. For Lutherans especially, there is no separation of the church or the state. It all falls under God's reign of mercy. The state and the church have the same charge 
to be stewards of this world which God has given us. The difference is we have been given a different set of tools and resources to carry out that call. When you step into a voting booth, I hope that you don't rub your forehead and try to smudge away that cross that was marked on you at baptism before you cast your ballots. Because for Jesus, the answer isn't one or the other, lawful or unlawful. It's both. Render to Caesar what's Caesar's and render to God what's God's. Two questions I have for you. And I want you to be honest with yourselves. Question number one. When was the last time that you had a conversation with someone, anyone, about the upcoming election, the divided state of our country, or the frenzied nature of casting your ballot in this uncommon polling year? Question number two. When was the last time you had a conversation with someone about how God's love in Jesus and the promise of forgiveness and wholeness transforms their life for the better? After answering those two questions for yourself, I would wager that the former is a little bit more frequent in your life than the latter. But we must ask ourselves, why is that? Render to Caesar what is Caesar's. Render to God what is God's. All well and good. But why does it seem that God gets the short end of the stick six days out of a week? Just think of how much better our world would be if we showed the same passion, the same zeal, the same commitment to telling other people about God's love in Christ Jesus as we do commenting on the state of our political affairs. The problem isn't that we keep church and state separate. The problem is that we failed to learn from Jesus how best to integrate them faithfully for the better blessing of God's one all-encompassing universal kingdom. The only question that remains for us then is what needs to be changed in our lives to make the gospel prominent in our conviction convictions and conversations with the people whom God has called us to love and serve. Give to the emperor what belongs to the emperor and give to God what belongs to God. Give the gifts that God has given you, your time, your talents, your treasures to help your neighbor live and thrive through both the ministry of Christ's church and the services of our shared government. Live in this world to the fullest extent of who you are called to be as God's children. And know what it means to worship God with all of our being and pray without ceasing. And when it seems like these conversations and the storms of the world rage against us, Make sure that you refuse to play the game of either or. Advocating instead for the sake of our neighbors who are hurting, who are hungry, and who need to know a place of comfort, rest, and safety 
in Christ Jesus. Amen.